0: We're in Matthew 13, looking at verses 31 through 35 this morning. It's a well-known uh, parable of the uh, mustard seed and then also of the leaven. And so it's something that, again, we're used to, but um, as I, I actually did this one uh, back in 2012, and... uh I went back to look at my sermon notes. I was like, oh, this was going to be easy. I'll just be able to switch out some things and update a little bit. And I used nothing from my old sermon. So, for those of you who were here in 2012, forgive me um, because it was not good. No, I don't know about that. But, um, there's definitely a difference and part of that I think is in our growing in who we are in Christ and in our knowledge and our love and admiration for him but he's also changing us and I want to make sure that I'm making sure that I'm staying focused and faithful to what he wants us to teach and for what he's teaching us so that we might learn. And so with that understanding I I want you to understand that this uh, parables were given what we know from Ritterboss is the now and the not yet, which means that we're still living in the midst of things that are going on because Christ, um, my professor Richard Pride used to give this, he called it the ICC, um, the inauguration of the kingdom when Christ came the first time, he inaugurated the kingdom, but now we're in the continuation of the kingdom now, but we look forward to the consummation of the kingdom, when he will come back and everything will be fulfilled, and so we're applying these parables in the midst of our continuation, and so what is it about the kingdom that God is trying to tell us in the midst of the mustard seed, and Eleven in the midst of the bread, so this parable is found in the synoptic Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so all of them are, are tell this story, but it 's never interpreted. so Jesus does not come back and tell us in the scripture, this is what this means. And so I might shake your worlds up a little bit today because I do think there is something here uh, that Jim Boyce brings up that might make us look at this parable just a little bit different, um, a, a statement of caution in regards to the parable. So please pay attention. Don't, we're not just going to simply go through this and go, this is what it means, quick, simple, easy, and now let's apply it. We're going to try to have the Holy Spirit minister to us and teach us so that we might rightly divide the word of God. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, again, this is your word, and it's your Holy Spirit that gives us eyes to see and hearts to understand. So Father, it's to you, and to you that we run to, that we keep our eyes focused upon. And so Father, you teach, you apply, and you're the one who needs to change us to look more like your Son. So Father, bring the Holy Spirit in power, but we pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Matthew 13, looking at verses 31 through 35 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed "'that a man took and sowed in his field. "'It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, "'it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, "'so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches.'" He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said, nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Thus seems God's word. So we start with these two parables, and we'll split it up into the first and the second. So we'll look first at the mustard seed. And so let's begin by looking, what is the parable about? So we see the the parts of it, and we see the first thing, obviously, is the mustard seed. Now again, there's been a lot of people that come to this passage, and they say, I'm not a Christian because of this passage, now, why is that? Because they would say, obviously, the Bible is not true because the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. Even in this period, even in Palestine, it's not the smallest seed that the people would have had in the midst of that culture. So some people say, well, see, if you can't believe that, if you can't trust that, then you can't believe anything. Now, R.C. Sproul has a great quote here, he says, he says, don't throw your Bibles away just yet. He says, we have to recognize that one, this is proverbially spoken. It's a parable, but it's also hyperbole. And he gives a great example where he says, we, if some a team wins a championship and they come back and they throw a parade and the writer uh, in the, in the newspaper says something like this, the whole town turned out for the parade. Well, obviously not everybody in the town turned out to see the parade, but it's a hyperbole. It's saying, we get it. We recognize that. We don't look and throw the paper away and say, well, they obviously lied to us because not everybody turned out. It is of the smallest seeds. That's the understanding. It is one of the smallest seeds. And so we recognize that it's very small and insignificant, we don't recognize that it's going to become what it's about to become. So we have the mustard seed, but secondly, it's growing. It's growing in the garden among other plants. And it's growing is relentless. And if you live here in Florida, you understand what it is to have relentless growing plants. Just the moment that you think you've figured it out and you weeded or you've cut back the bushes enough, it continues to grow and grow and grow. It's never-ending. So the plant is relentlessly growing, and according to, this par- to the parable, it begins to dwarf the other plants in the garden. It becomes so great. Now, there's also benefits from this plant, and the plants are there for the benefit of the garden, in the garden itself, but it also gives benefit to the birds, And the birds of the air come. And then this one, it says a nest. In other passages of the scripture, it says it's under its branches that it finds the shade and and, uh, finds the covering. So we have this parable being spoken. So what's the application? What are the parable possibilities? And I told you, I might shake you up a little bit here. Now, the first part is a caution. Um, because there are a lot of people, especially in, if you go back to a lot of the older commentaries, but Jim Boyce is the commentary that I was looking at, and he puts this as a warning about evil, not the good things of the kingdom. Now, he does this because of the context of where this parable, these two parables lie. He's talking about how to come to Christ in the parable of the sower. These things are then put in the middle. And then he talks about the seed and the tares, which we learned about last week. Okay, how they look similar. They're to grow up together, but they are only distinctive by their fruit. The good fruit and the fruit that is the fungus that we learned last week. And so for Jim Boyce, he's saying there's a lot of symbolism here that maybe should be applied to the things that are evil. Now, I want you to understand the principles of the kingdom, good, and the principles of the evil kingdom are both the same principles. So I want you to recognize that. The principles are this. Things start small and get bigger, Things are also very inclusive when they are found to to take the whole thing, the whole lump. Now, again, I do think Boyce is wrong in the big picture application, okay? But it's caution for us because it should remind us we should be aware of the, again, the schemes of the devil. Now, again, he he applies this because one thing he wants us to recognize is, remember, the devil's defeated, but he's not destroyed. And he is paralyzed, but he's not dead. And so Satan comes, and remember, he masquerades himself as an angel of light. And so seemingly things that are evil are things that we can be not simply aware of very easily. They're very subtle things. And part of his thing is saying, why does he call it a mustard seed tree? Mustard seeds typically grow into shrubs, not trees. So when he's talking about a tree, is this an abnormality that's going on here? Now, again, you can go, you can do, uh, trust me on this, or if you don't trust me, that's fine. Go and look it up. I mean, there are things that grow to be 10 feet or plus in the Palestinian uh, countryside that are the mustard seeds, okay? So it does become big. But if you wanted to apply the kingdom of God, why did he not do it where he does other places like an acorn to an oak tree or to the, the trees of Lebanon, Hmm. So there is caution for us, okay? And and we do need to look at the context. And and even here, even the birds, remember the birds in the, the parable of the sower, the birds are evil. They're messengers of Satan. Now, again, please don't get caught up in all of the symbolism because, again, we know that yeast and leaven can mean sin, but not sin all the time. Sometimes the birds are simply the nations. So I think that's what it applies here. It's the nations that come and rest in the branches of the kingdom. But I think it should give us pause to start asking the question of, should we recognize that even evil starts off small, but left unchecked, can continue to grow to great things. Listen, when I was doing uh, some studies, one of the things that one of my professors says is he does not believe that anybody kind of gets up and says, I'm gonna become an adulterer. I'm just gonna become an adulterer. I hope I get to be an adulterer one day. Or I hope I get to be put in jail for thievery or for whatever. His point was, is that usually it starts with A small compromise that leads to another small compromise that leads to another small compromise that leads to another compromise. We see that in the life of David. Remember, we talked about last week. David is supposed to be at war in springtime. He's not where his armies, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, he compromised. So he stays home. As he stays home, then he goes up and then he lingers. I used to have a youth pastor who said this, because again, as we grow up in Brevard County and uh, there's a lot of temptations, especially with girls going to the beach. And this is how he made the distinction. He said, you look once, Jeff. He says that temptation, Jeff, you look a second time, Jeff, that's sin. David looked a second time and he dwelt. And so he sinned. Not only that, then he goes and gets the woman and then he takes the woman and then he has a child with this woman. He then kills, he tries to cover it up. Not only, not only that, but he tries to cover it up, tries to bring the, the husband home and try to cover it up. And then when this man is so faithful to him, he then sends him to the front of the lines to kill him, murder him. Compromise after compromise after Compromise. So, again, we need to be very, very mindful and be cautious because, again, the as sooner as we start making a decision to compromise in one area, it becomes easier to compromise in another area. Or we begin to compromise to cover up the first sin. We see this. We see this even with little kids. You know, the kids that have the chocolate chip cookie all over their face, and you know they took the cookie? Did you take the cookie? First of all, they stole the cookie. They didn't take the cookie. They didn't ask permission to take the cookie. Then you ask them, did you eat the cookie? I didn't eat the cookie. I can see you ate the cookie. The cookie's all over your mouth. Did you eat the cookie? Yes, I ate the cookie. Why did you lie? Because that's part of our nature. We don't want to get caught. I tell my kids all the time, I'm going to ask you this one time. Answer it truthfully because if you answer and lie about it, then it's going to get way worse. Just answer truthfully. So don't compromise. That's our caution. But the kingdom also grows from small to great. Now, again, you're talking about some 12 apostles who are in Galilee in A.D. 28. Did the church look very faithful and strong at that point were the disciples tired have you in this church ever become overwhelmed or tired doing ministry every one of you should probably and should say yes otherwise you're lying we get tired we get overwhelmed we start to question is this even worth it Should we still do this? God's trying to encourage us by saying, listen, I'm telling you that the gospel's going to go out. And even though you see that things are small, maybe even in your own life, but even in the church. And again, we get caught up in this, right? We listen to the TV. We listen to talk radio, whatever. We start saying the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? What are we to do Faithful, Be faithful. Because his kingdom wins. Listen, Matthew 24, 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Here's our thing. God wins. And we need to keep our eyes focused upon that. Listen, all other kingdoms fade away. Rome faded away. Greece faded away. America will fade away. God's kingdom is eternal. And listen to how God builds his kingdom. His kingdom has no military. It has no borders. It has no tax structure. It has no intelligence agencies. And yet it still grows. Why? Because it's God who's doing the changing. And He's telling us to be encouraged. What started very small is going to become the greatest kingdom that there's ever been. And I know here in the United States, it's easy to become overwhelmed. I'm asking you go to Africa, go to India. Go to China where they have been abused, where they have been beaten, where they have been destroyed, and they cannot stop the kingdom of God. It is growing and growing and growing underground as well as to Africa where people are sending more missionaries to the United States than we're sending around the world. So don't look with human eyes. Keep your eyes focused upon the kingdom because it continues to grow and it will be fulfilled. So, how do we apply this to ourselves? We need to look because, one, you have to recognize again that it starts with unimpressive beginnings even with ourselves. Because it's easy for us to even look at ourselves and we go, I'm insignificant, I'm worth nothing. God is very clear in his scripture that you're worth everything because he gave his son for you upon the cross to give you his righteousness and he tells you very clearly with God in you, nothing's impossible. At some point, we just quit believing it. We think we're so insignificant in and of ourselves. What can I do? What can this little city of Melbourne do in regards to the world? If God wants to use us, he will change. The question for us is do we give up? Because it does start with unimpressive beginnings. But, but let's look at scripture. And let's be honest. Are we, do we not get afraid sometimes? God... Are we so boldened and so emblazoned to pray these kind of prayers? God, use me to do anything. Well, wait a minute. That's a dangerous prayer. God, use me to do anything within my power and my comfort zone. That's what I'm asking. There's a reason why there's only one apostle who walked on water. only one listen all the other apostles saw jesus walking on water they were overwhelmed only one was brave enough to say i'm getting out of the boat i think sometimes again we try to take our christianity and we try to to make it convenient I'm there. God, God, do you really want me to, to move into an inner city to, to not have a, a good retirement? God, I, I, I want to I go on cruises like some other people. And, and not just these Caribbean cruises. Those are, those are cheap trips. I want to go on a cruise around the world that's, that's what I want. But that takes money. If I'm in the inner city, then I, one, I would feel guilty if I went on that cruise and then came back and told everybody I was on that cruise. And, and I don't want to live in a house where I'm worried about my stuff getting stolen. I, I'm worried enough in my own neighborhood that's nice. And I put extra locks on. I think we need to maybe step out of the boat. And I know that's not comfortable for anybody. But God didn't call us to be comfortable. He called us to be faithful. Now that doesn't mean, that does not mean that if you have money that you're somehow sinful. The question is, is how you're using it. Because God is going to take, and he's going to use to build his kingdom. And some of you, need to write big checks. Some of you need to get up out of your seat and do ministry. But again, we ask God, what do you want me to do? Please, we need to stop telling God, this is what I'm going to do. Please bless it. So it's unimpressive beginnings, but we also have to recognize that it is relentless growth. Again, we're called to the Great Commission. We're to go into the entire world, and we're supposed to start local and go continually out. So ask this question and then answer it of who are you ministering to here within Melbourne or the O'Galley area? Then who are you ministering to within Brevard County or Central Florida? How are you doing ministry to the world? And again, don't be so overwhelmed of like, I can't do that. Who are you giving money to as missionaries? Who are you going on mission trips to? Are you willing to be a missionary? Ask those kind of questions. God, what do you want me to do? Because again, it expands quietly. There's not great fanfare. But there's also this great quote by Al Mueller. Al Mueller, after the changes of when the Supreme Court redefined um, marriage, which was not long ago, right? And he says, How is this going to affect us? Because in one way it changes nothing, right? Marriage is still marriage between one woman and one man. So it doesn't change anything, but in some ways it changes everything. So now how do we do ministry? How do we change the views of other people? How do we love the way that Christ wants us to love? See, his kingdom is going to continue to to grow, but I also want you to have assured, triumphant hope. Again, Satan is, he's good. Don't believe me? Then quit listening to him. But every one of us has ears to listen to Satan tell us you're not worth it. You can't be used. You're not forgiven for that. You're not loved. You're not even liked. And this is being pounded into our heads over and over and over again. And sometimes we start to listen to it and we start to believe it. And he's starting to say, um, we got to tell ourselves, and remind ourselves of the theology where God says he's defeated and he has no power over you. Satan is God's Satan. And as smart as he is, he's not powerful enough to tell you those lies. But Christ comes and he says, again, this kingdom is triumphant. And listen, why is it triumphant? Because God is the one building it. Not you. He uses you, but he's the one who does it. Amen? Amen? Because we'd be in a world of hurt if he didn't. So the kingdom starts small, but comes very great, and it impacts all the nations in the world, and he wins. So the leavened now is another parable that's like, it's similar to the parable of the mustard seed, but it's not exactly the same. So they're not identical twins, they're fraternal twins. So there's some similarities, but they're not identical. So the first thing we have to understand from the parable itself is it talks about leaven. Now this is different than yeast. Yeast you put into new dough. This is leaven. This is from old dough where the yeast has already done the work. So this old dough has now been taken and it has been hidden. That's the word used. It was hidden into the new batch of dough. Now, if you look at this, the amount of dough that it talks about is so great that you're talking about a banquet for a hundred people or more can eat from the amount of dough that this leaven's been put into. Now, I want you to understand that. And I want you to apply it to the Lord's Supper, what we're going to do here this morning. Okay? So, the leaven... That was taken from the old dough that's wrapped up into the new dough is going to affect the whole dough. There's not a part of the dough that is left untouched. So now how do we take this and apply it? So again, we go back to our caution. Because Jim Boyce really does think that this is a part where again, most times in scripture, leaven is seen as sin. Sin. So again, the principle here is the same true. Sin multiplies and affects the whole group. Again, most of us have been a part of this example. I just used it with my with my daughter um, in regards to teaching her little kindergarten first grade class that she's gonna have in the in the fall. Is it easier to pull someone down or easy to pull someone up? It's easier to pull someone down. So, we have to be very, very careful not that we stop being around non Christians, but we have to be very careful that we don't start putting ourselves in compromising positions where we start finding ourselves doing things that we should not be doing. Because it begins to affect us in small ways. So again, we get to the place, and again, we're Reformed Christians, so now, you know what it's cool for us to do? It's cool for Reformed Christians to, to be able to crush, cuss every once in a while, because that's making us look cool, like we're still part of the world, but Jesus loves us, so we're forgiven. So I'll throw a little bomb out there every once in a while. Uh, yeah, look at me, I'm a cool Christian. You know, I can wear the t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not happy with that t-shirt, guys. Or we can go and we can drink as much as we want to because we're Presbyterians. We're not like the Baptists. We can drink. It's part of our freedoms in Christ. You can come to my house and I have bottles of alcohol, plural, bottles of alcohol in my house. But what do I do with it? Can someone come in and know that my alcohol is being used for different purposes than the rest of the world? Hmm. That's a question. So again, we have to make sure that we don't do not be deceived by the 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 sinfulness that's around us. We need to quit compromising because evil is, listen, it's very subtle, but it's very pervasive. So that's the caution. But there's also the side where, again, the goodness and the gospel of Christ is transformation. Listen, leaven that is hidden into the whole loaf is where we allow and we need to look to the Holy Spirit to move and to change us. Again, does our, does our um, walk with Christ happen overnight? No. It is something that happens slowly, but it's a continual thing. And here is the reality. We go back to the sower of the the wheat, the good seed, and then the tares. Why? Because the difference we knew was when we saw the fruit. So we grow up looking very the same. That's why it's okay to be moral. That's why it's okay to be spiritual. That's okay. Don't talk about Jesus, though. Don't talk about our sin nature. That's, you're stepping on toes now. There's a great example of this with a a preacher and a farmer. He's talking about, hey, hey, do you think it's okay for you to come if you have four cows to give two cows away? Yes, pastor, I think that's good. Now, if you have six chickens, is it okay to give three of the chickens away and keep three chickens? Yes, pastor, that's a good idea. He says, what if you have eight pigs? Do you think it's good to give four pigs away and keep four pigs? And he said, now, wait a minute, pastor, you know I am a pig farmer now you're getting personal it's okay when you're talking about those people they need to live out christianity the way they're supposed to now you're talking about me and that's stepping on my toes see again he's talking to us and he says the effects of the holy spirit should be visible listen it's so subtle that you don't see the leaven but it affects everything and that becomes visible to everybody How we live makes a difference. And it's Christians who are transforming society. Don't believe me? Look at your history books. Who is it that did the greatest music compositions? Christians. Who changed slavery overall? Now I know we did a lot of bad things, but who was a part of the change? Christians. Who came up with the greatest educational institutions? Christians. It's Christians who are subtly and simply and step-by-step step changing society. We're the ones who are changing things through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be faithful to continue because there is transformation that comes. So how do we apply this parable? First thing is that we have to understand that this is an internal thing that happens again it's not just about outward appearances it's about our hearts and about our minds and so we ask the question is this gospel true to me it doesn't mean that it gets easy to bear fruit to me it gets harder But the fruit is real because it has to be pruned and it has to be cut back and it has to be nurtured. And that's God. And so he brings things and he puts us in a place where he's saying, am I really everything to you, Jeff? And I tell you, that's a dangerous prayer. And you guys, I mean, just a few years ago, I mean, we still, we didn't this year, but most years we celebrate Jameson's drowning because it, it, just a couple of weeks before i was on my knees crying out to god god you can have everything take it all it's all to you all to you i give all to you i own i'm praying you use me to do whatever and within 2 weeks jameson's lying flat in the pool not breathing i said wait a minute god let me change that prayer you can have everything but my family don't take that don't take my money. Don't take my comfort. Don't take my church. Don't, 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 don't. Please don't. Because he goes, Jeff, am I everything to you? Depends on the day you ask me, Jesus. Maybe it depends on the moment. And yet he calls us because he's given. He's the prime example. He loved us perfectly before the foundation of the world. And he loved us so much that he gave his son. That's how much he loves us. He says, I'm just asking, would you give just a portion back of that to me? So I've got to remember that it's my mind, it's my heart that he wants. There's always going to be battles. We never get out of this, this side of heaven. There's always struggles, always things that we're trying to pull back onto or hold onto that we just don't want to get rid of. But he's saying, I want your mind and your heart, and when I have your mind and your heart, then I want you to understand that it becomes very comprehensive And again, we need to make sure that we don't settle for a counterfeit because again, even our churches confuse sometimes money. If we've paid off this building, then God loves us. If we have a big enough church size, then somehow God loves us. If we have structures that are set up, then that's, we think that that's spiritual fruit. But the reality is as churches become so worldly that we try to do it and we're trying to do God's work, but we're trying to do it in our own power, in our own strength, our own way. And God says that's the counterfeit. The real thing is where we stay true to the scripture, where God comes and he allows the Holy Spirit to expose our sins. And he exposes it one moment at a time because we're so quick. We're so quick to accept the momentary. We're so quick to accept the counterfeits that this world has to offer. And so what we do, we stop doing life-on-life discipleship. We stop being real with one another we stop saying this is who I really am. I am a sinner. And these are my sins. I'm going to name them. Not to everybody, but do you have someone that you're talking about that you're saying this is what I'm struggling with. Truly struggling with, not looking for a small group pep talk. Are we being true and real with one another? Do we really share our hearts and our minds? Does it we allow the gospel to drive us to our savior? because his word is comprehensive. And he goes even to those closets that we've tried to hide for so many years from so many people. If you knew this, you would not love me. And Jesus says, I've always known it and I love you perfectly still. So with this comprehensive love that he's doing as he begins to change us, and then it becomes evident. See, if, if, if we're people or a church, and we begin to say things like, it doesn't change how we do things, then we just become angry people, and we become isolated from the rest of the world, and so what do we become to the world? We become a nice museum. You want to see what old people think about the gospel and about ministry and all that kind of stuff? Come to, come to the, especially the Protestant churches and you'll see old people and they'll tell you about their lives. And they'll tell you about all the woes, how I went to school, I walked to school uphill every day in the snow, both ways, living in Florida. That's how bad it was. Just become a museum. Or what happens is a lot of churches begin to accommodate. And they do it in love. Isn't this the most loving thing to accept people where they are and never confront who they are or what they're doing? Just allow them to do whatever they want to do. You know what happens to those churches? They become irrelevant. There's no difference. As we talked on Sunday, you might as well go to the local bar. You can find better friends than sometimes people in the church. And there, you don't have to set up chairs, you just have to buy drinks. Just easier. But if we are truly called to transform and be transformed from the inside out, we begin to transform the people around us. Half because they cannot remain stagnant. They either begin to truly hate you and don't want anything to do with you or it makes them start to be driven to the cross. And when that happens, it transforms lives. And I want you to, to understand this. Don't expect allies in government or at your place of business or in your neighborhoods, or anything like that. Don't expect people to come to your aid. They hate that you're telling things about sin and naming names. So what do we have to do? we got to fall on our knees. We need to beg God to bring revival. And it needs to start with me. Truly ask yourself this question Are you willing to give everything to Christ? Now be careful. But I want you to ask that question Am I willing to give everything to Christ because everything is found in Christ, in Him alone? Because listen, this is what John Calvin says about this passage. There is no other explanation for the growth of Jesus' kingdom other than that it's the work of God being manifested to the world. This shouldn't work. The kingdom of God should have been destroyed years ago. And they can't stop it. Why? Because God's real and God wins. So be encouraged, Christian. Be encouraged that even if things seem small and insignificant, they're growing because the word is being preached to you, to each other, and to the lost. And then expect the Holy Spirit to move and to continually transform your mind and your thoughts and your lifestyle into something that is different than other people so that they look at you and say, what is it? that makes you who you are and then tell them about Jesus but what does everybody have everybody can pray cry out God change this world and use me to do it you do that and I think we're going to start seeing some things and not everything we're going to like welcome to the church a messed up family of hypocrites who are united in love in Christ. Look around. Y'all are messed up people who are with a messed up pastor who serves a perfect Savior. That's our hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, If this is not of me, then remove it from the people's heads. If this is of you, then change us and begin revival from me and the leadership and the people that are sitting in the seats and the people that are watching from home. May we be changed by the gospel because we can never be neutral. So, Father, have us run to you. And see that you are good and a gracious Father and a perfectly loving Savior, King, and God. And so, Father, help us to trust you, to follow you, and to be led by you, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we know you hear us because you hear your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.